dreams have their own language and a freedom for the rules of engagement to be different than the ways that we engage the world in our waking life. How do we begin to decipher that language and find our own particular dialect within it? Welcome to An Etymology of Dreaming. I am your host, Sue Scavo, and in this episode, we explore the quirky language of dreams and why we each have our own dialect within that language. We also explore the essential elements of embodied dream work. What are the foundations of this way of working with dreams? What are the basic tools of the language of dreams? As I have said, there are countless ways to work with dreams, and because, I believe, the dream landscape and language is always changing and evolving, part of the gift and the mystery of dreaming for me is that it is about developing our own relationship with the dream landscape and how we engage with it in our own particularity, which for me is the heart of embodied dream work, particularity. Particularity is the essence of dreaming, and all that we do around working with our dreams through embodied dream work comes and grows from it. What I mean by this is that while there is a basic language to dreams that we can begin with, each dreamer has their own dialect within that language. And I believe even that larger language is fluid, based on our backgrounds, where we come from. For example, dreamers who have grown in the Western tradition, as we have in the U.S. and Europe and other places, dream differently with a different context than dreamers who have grown in Eastern traditions. This makes the roots of embodied dreaming somewhat elusive. I think of it in terms of language, how there are so many different languages in the world, and how even within those languages, different languages and dialects and accents flourish and grow. Language is alive, living, growing, changing all the time, as we humans live, grow, and change. When working with dreams through embodied dream work, our first assumption is that every dreamer has their own dialect, and that part of the process is to begin to discover and translate that dialect, which is why we do not have a dream dictionary that I can send a dreamer to. We can have a larger contextual language within which to start, but it is only a place to start. So, what are the basic elements of embodied dream work? We start with particularity and work with the process of translation. But what are the ways we can begin our translation work? What are the ways we can delve into a dream in order to unlock its language, which is our own language, of course? I have been thinking a great deal about trying to define or articulate what exactly it is that we do. At our School for Dreams, we are teaching a new course called Foundations of Embodied Dream Work, partly, to be honest, so that we are forced to come to this articulation. Like an artist or a writer, working with dreams is an art that when you are in it, you are in it. And finding a way to speak about the process is often challenging. The heart of embodied dream work has, is based on several key elements. Particularity, as I've said. Collaboration between the dreamer, the dream, and a practitioner. Discovering the language of the dream through not just words, but feelings, imagery, the experience of the body, and the experience of the intellect, an assumption about the intentionality of dreams, an assumption about the importance of dreams, a belief about the issue of trauma, both personal trauma and the culture of trauma, a belief about the issue of becoming through a process of dying to self, and the emergence of the soul, essential self, a belief about the particulars of figures that come in our dreams. Let's return to particularity for a moment before diving into the other elements because, as I've said, it is the root from which all else grows in this way of working with dreams. And perhaps the best way to do this is to give an example. 
I dream a great deal about whales. Big whales, little whales, whales close by, whales far away, whales swimming with me, me being a whale. In the larger context of the language of dreams, we may say that whales are, quote, archetypal or, quote, primal beings. We may say they carry many mythologies that we can turn toward, which a dream of a whale may in fact be gesturing toward. Some folks may even want to define a dream of a whale as meaning a specific and particular thing. When I start the exploration of a dream in embodied dream work, I start through the particulars of what that something in the dream is to the person who has been given the dream. We do this through an associative process, which means we start with a basic question. What are whales for dreamers? What are whales for this particular dreamer? And in this case, what is a whale to me? Whales have an important place in my particular psyche. I love whales. I didn't discover the possibility of being with whales until I I moved to California in my 30s. And I lived in San Francisco where the gray whales migrate from Alaska to Mexico and then have their babies and turn around and migrate back from Mexico up to Alaska. I did not know that you could sit on the shore of the Pacific Ocean along certain parts of Northern California and Southern California and just watch them go by. It had never occurred to me that something that magical could be that simple. So I started watching whales when I lived in California and has become a bit of a I don't know if I want to say obsession, but it has become a big thing for me. When Bill and I travel, we often travel to places where we can watch whales. We've been on boats. We've done a week-long trip in the Panama Bay to whale watch humpback whales. We've seen blue whales, fin whales, beluga whales. It is something that I really love to do. It really speaks to me. It sings to me. There's something about being in the presence of whales that moves me in ways that I cannot even explain. When I have a dream of a whale, it refers to all those experiences I have. It refers to the feeling I have when I am with whales, the feeling I had when the first time I saw a whale down in Mexico, the last time I saw a whale, which was the summer, and all the times in between. It refers to something that happens inside of me when I'm with whales. I also grew up within the Western tradition, so I have mythologies about whales that do that have been in my psyche for a long time. I grew up in the Catholic Church, so I have the great whale with Jonah. I'm also I was also an English major, and I have a particular love for the book Moby Dick. I've read it, I studied it. So I have inside of me, because of where I've come from, because of the traditions I grew up in, I have specific mythologies that also are part of any dream that I have about whales. I also have my own stories and how I believe or how what I believe whales hold. And again, it's particular to me. So I have a, you know, I have carry certain beliefs about whales, about what they represent, what they are as a symbol to me. And there's, you know, what they are as a symbol to my culture, where I've come from. There's also what it means to me. You know, I see them as very gentle and fierce at the same time. I see them as holders of great memory because they're so ancient. I see them as poets who sing songs that travel through the water for miles and miles. I see them as very communal. I mean, all you know, different kinds of whales are different, but 
there's these certain ways that I I look at whales. For me, when I have a dream about a whale, all that plays into it. If someone else has a dream about whales, it's going to be different for them. If, say, someone who has grown up fishing whales in a village where the whale is part of their daily life, dreaming of a whale is going to mean something completely different. If I'm a dreamer who is terrified of whales and has seen the destruction, you know, how whales can be destructive, which of course they can because they're so big, then I'm going to have a different context for what that whale means to me. If I come from a culture that does not have any context with the sea and I've never seen a whale, it's going to mean something completely different for me. So when we when I talk about the particularity of an image or an experience in a dream, I hope this gives you a little sense of what I mean by that, how a whale is not a whale. A whale is a whale to what it is to the dreamer. For me, the next part of embodied dream work that works with particularity is the idea of collaboration. What does that mean exactly? Collaboration for me means that as a dreamer, my dreams want to collaborate with me. I don't believe that they want to tell me who I am, how I am, what I should be doing. They want to create a space for a collaboration so that I can be in conversation. So conversation and collaboration um, are close together for me. Meaning that when I step into working with my dream, I'm working with how the dream is working with me, with the assumption that the dream is giving space for all sorts of things, for my experience, for my understanding to challenge me, to show me where I get stuck and the patterns I get stuck into, and that as I respond to them, either in the dream or in my waking life, that a collaboration exists in a natural way. I respond, my dreams respond, I respond, my dreams respond. So as a dream practitioner, I take the lesson of the dream and bring that to working with the dreamers that I have the privilege to work with. So what we do is when someone presents a dream with the assumption of particularity, collaboration works with the particularity really to find to discover what it is. When a dreamer brings their dream to me, part of the collaboration is that I'm going to ask a lot of questions and I'm going to take everything I know about dreams and all the 20 years I've been working with them. I'm going to take that knowledge and I'm going to put it on the table, but I'm going to put it to the side. I'm going to hold it with a light touch or with a light grip so that as I'm listening to the dreamer and as we're having a conversation, that's what was really feeding the work around the dream. I mean, I definitely find that as the conversation with the dreamer around associations or things that are coming up for them around the experiences, the beings, the things in the dream, that as we work in that way, the particularity slowly becomes comes into focus. Without the lens of collaboration, the dream can be this vague thing, or we can end up only looking at one or two layers of the dream. So collaboration is the way to find out what the particulars are for each person. And how do we find out when we've found the particularity or when we found something that feels true? Again, that's partly through the collaboration. As I ask questions or the dreamer asks questions of me, just the way the dreams ask questions, suddenly something will open, will hit something, where the dreamer will be like, oh my God, I can't believe you just asked that question. Or that made me think of something I haven't thought in 20 years. Or I was just thinking about that yesterday. 
it's in the collaboration that the energy of the dream begins to open up. It's in the collaboration that the dialect of the dreamer with their dreams can begin to be heard. I, I, you know, I, I haven't learned languages. When I was a kid, I had a speech impediment. So learning languages was a bit of a terrifying process for me. But what I understand from learning languages is that at first you begin to hear words not through the translation of the foreign language to you into the home language for you or your native tongue, but that you start to hear words of the language in its own language and you hear it as that. So you don't, so let's say, take the word Italian or take the Italian word for door. Like when you hear it in Italian, at first, I think he translated through English for those of us who speak English. And I think at some point it becomes its own word in our in our minds and in our bodies. To me, that's like dreaming. As we begin the exploration of working with our dreams, the language seems vague or it seems exotic or it seems strange. And as we work with the dreams, then that language becomes a little more in our bodies. It becomes a little more clear to us and we can start hearing inflections we can start hearing words we can start hearing words beyond the 20 words that were that we use most of the time and it becomes its own language and again for me how how we do that how we find the dialect of your dream is through that collaboration is through this mutual exploration and discovery process which i really love which brings me to another piece that i want to talk about around dreams and an assumption that we have around embodied dream work is that is that the dreams do have an intention. There are a lot of ways to be with dreams, that some dreams are what some people call throwaway dreams, or they're just because I had bad pizza last night, or it was just about this one thing, and so I kind of got it, and you know, it's not that big of a dream. Or for me, dreams have an intentionality beyond that first, what I call the first hit, or the first couple layers. I mean, we can stay with the first couple layers, which works fine. And that the dream that there's an intentionality beyond that. And what I mean by that is, you know, a dream can be like, oh, I'm having this argument with my partner or my kid or a friend, and they were in the dream, and I saw that I was kind of being stubborn. So, you know, I woke up in the morning and thought, oh, I'm being stubborn. And then maybe I can move through that argument or the disagreement in my outer life, which is, you know, one way to be with the dream. When I talk about intentionality, is that underneath that initial story or the first couple layers is also an exploration about what happens for me when I get into my stubbornness. What happens for me when I get into the bigger context of how I enter into disagreements with a spouse or a friend or a child? And what is the root of that? And how can I work down, down in that layer of the dream rather than just the initial story? been thinking about this image for me around that particular way of looking at dreams, which I call the Grand Canyon effect. You know, when I was in my 30s, I, I, I traveled for a couple of years and I spent at least three weeks in the Grand Canyon during that time. It was an amazing thing to be with the canyon for more than just a couple of days. I went from the south rim to the north rim. I went down into the canyon and to, at different places. Um, and what was really striking for me, there's the top layer when you stand at the edge of the canyon, which is this overview, and it's just gorgeous. But as you you know descend into the canyon, you go through completely different terrains and also weather realities. And then it's like going down through time 
based on the rocks that you're with so that when you start at the north rim or the south rim and you hike down when you get down to the river that the rock by the river some of the oldest rock exposed on the planet of earth it's amazing to to put your hand on that rock and feel how ancient it is i think of dreams as having a grand canyon effect the top layer we can see the story and isn't it you know i can have this overview or i have this idea but once you start collaborating and questioning and having a curiosity about what's underneath that first layer, it's like going down the canyon, going down to that oldest rock that is in, or the oldest thing that's in your psyche or the, that's in your dream landscape, all the way down to the river even, so that we, we can see all these layers that each dream brings. And in that way, the dream offers not just the first hit, like the first view of the canyon, which is like, wow, this is amazing. But then this intimate exploration of why this one thing, why this thing in the dream, why is it coming up now? And why is it in my psyche? Why is it in my dream landscape and my outer landscape as well? For me, that's part of the intentionality of the dream. I also believe that the intentionality of the dream is to open up all these places so we can discover who we are. We can find our soul self, our who we really are. We can go to the places where we got stuck in our growth and free those parts of ourselves. And I think the intention is also to grow who we are, to open up the unknown parts of ourselves, to take who we are and discover our possibilities, even in the face of all the places we've come from, even in the, you know, those, the spaces where there are places we thought we could never heal. So to me, that's all part of that Grand Canyon, the canyoning effect of the dream that it wants to open up all the possibility for not just healing, but for becoming, you know, becoming beyond the stories that we carry, becoming beyond that first hit that we see in a dream. Again, the, you know, the particularity, the collaboration, the intention and importance of dreams are all woven together. So if we look at a dream and we kind of feel into it as like this Grand Canyon effect, like there's these layers of our soul life in each dream. There's layers of our spiritual or, you know, internal life, whatever language you have for that in every dream. That There's a, a piece of really important information, wisdom, challenge in every dream, even, you know, the so-called throwaway dreams. Again, to bring it back to the particularity and the collaboration, then there's a lot of gravity in, in exploring dreams in that way. Because in order to find, in order to get down to the river at the bottom of the canyon, if you will, in order to get to the fluid parts of ourselves, in order to get to that ancient rock at, at, at the bottom of the layers, we have to know the landscape. We have to find our way down and we have to, and we have to know how to live and, you know, be in those landscapes. So that's how it all works together. There's a, to me, that's the bigger context of why dreams are important, why collaboration to me is of utter importance and why approaching dreams with particularity and with the knowing that every dream is tailored precisely and exquisitely for each of us every night for where we are. It's incredible for me. I could take a little tiny dream and the depth of the of the depth of the Grand Canyon effect is stunning. And it and it, it, it never fails to be stunning for me. So I want to bring in a, a few other pieces about, you know, sort of the fundamental things that we bring or things, assumptions that we bring to the dream landscape when someone brings a dream to us. I guess where I want to start is is about what I was just speaking about, that there is this place that, the, you know, at the heart of the dream landscape, at the heart of the dreaming world for, for all of us. And what I believe deeply is that how it wants to bring something to us in this mysterious way. 
and bring us somewhere. I'm not, not bring us somewhere, but bring us home to ourselves, perhaps is a better way to say it, is that there's a couple core beliefs I have, even within what I was just speaking about. Part of the intentionality is like for us to find our soul selves, whatever that means for each of us. And it means different things, again, because it's a particular process. So there's a becoming aspect that is offered by our dreams. There's a an opening, there's a promise, there's a gesture toward like the possibility and the light and the fire that we all carry in ourselves, even if we've even if we've forgotten or we're scared of that fire. The dreams want to really open up those promises that we carry. They want to open up the possibility so that we can live beyond possibility and into actuality and into making choices about how we want to live our possibility, how we want to live our fire, where do we want to bring that fire that will be nurturing and challenging for us. One of the, I guess I think this is a a little triad here. One of the pieces of the triad is this, that dreams really do speak to helping us become ourselves in ways that we have no idea who we are, um, in ways that will be surprising to us, in ways that will challenge us, in ways that will make us laugh as well, bring humor. That's one of the pieces of this, I guess, triad that I'm calling. The other piece about this is the piece about trauma work. And there's a lot about trauma work out in the world right now, which is very exciting. There's lots of advances in how trauma affects our bodies, our brains, which is all very exciting in different ways to work with it. You know, for me, there's two things I want to say about trauma that I think that, you know, may not may be a whole nother podcast or episode, but there's two core assumptions I carry or beliefs that I carry around working with trauma and dreams. Uh, the first is that, as, as my partner Bill says, that we have a culture of trauma around us all the time. And that I, I believe is true whether we have traumatic events in our lives or not. We, as a species, as, a, as, you know, as humankind, our history is littered with war and traumatic events and cataclysmic events. Um, you could sit down with any person and ask about their ancestral history and there will be stories of my grandparents were in the Holocaust or my grandparents were stolen as slaves and brought to this country or my great ancestors bring brought to this country, meaning the United States. Or, you know, my family goes back to the gypsies and they were all forced to do this or this or this. So everybody, I think as a species, there is this culture of trauma and you know, there's been a lot of studies done about how trauma lives in the body and how memory lives in the body and how the experience of trauma, not just, you know, maybe not the memory, but the body memory of trauma is, is they're finding is handing down from generation to generation. In that handing down, we receive those body memories from our ancestors. So even if, again, if, even if we don't have a traumatic event in our lifetimes, we carry the memories of our ancestors ancestors that do. We also walk on land that remembers the culture of trauma as well. I grew up in the Midwest. I actually grew up in Ohio on the on, in Cincinnati, right on the Ohio River. And there's a particular, you know, that land has has witnessed and received, you know, a lot of trauma and a lot of suffering throughout time. Um, you know, in the history of this country alone, it was theoretically the end of the Underground Ra- Railroad during during parts of the time of slavery. But it really wasn't. I mean, it was a place that people landed, but 
people could still be taken back south. So it's a place of great loss. The, the, the landscape remembers the loss that happens there. Again, even before this country, whatever happened with the original cultures that were living here, the land remembers in some way. So even the land we walk on carries carries what happened in the places that we've lived. And I don't think there's a place on the planet that doesn't carry some kind of memory of that kind of trauma. Um, I mean, there's cataclysmic things, but there's also, you know, what happens on that soil in the history of humankind. We come from this place of survival, you know, maybe back to our oldest ancestors who were just trying to survive in hostile landscapes. There's something even there that we still live, like we've got to survive. And sometimes it's like us or them or me or them. It's it's not we as a people, it's my people or, that, or those people or that people or this family has got to survive at the expense of that family. There is, I think, we carry the survival mentality, even if it's unconscious. And I think that's also part of the culture of trauma. Even without our personal experiences in the conversation, that is part of our history as a, as a people on this planet. Now you fold into, if we're going to talk about the Grand Canyon effect around trauma, I guess, then if you fold into that our personal experiences from, you know, the time we were conceived until, you know, now, I guess, or until this moment, you know, again, not everybody carries some traumatic event in their lifetimes, but many do. In the United States, it could be anything from suffering oppression due to race, gender, you know, economic realities. It can be, so it could be a cultural kind of trauma on a personal level, it can be like our personal experiences of that, like in our family. Some some of us carry trauma, traumatic events from things that happen in our families. Some of us don't. So, but all these factors are folded into how the dreams work with us around places where we get stuck in our becoming. You know, when I start talking about this, I'm going to go back to the triad of, of beliefs around sort of this, the personal journey. I started with becoming because, or the aspect of becoming because I think that is the heart of what dreams want. They want to help us grow. They want to guide us in our growth and give us space to collaborate on what that growth is. I mean, I don't think they say this is where you're supposed to grow. I think that's part of the collaboration. Part of the challenge of becoming is being with all the things that we've had to face that maybe we didn't have space to process at the time, but that we can now, or being in the bigger context of our experiences in our body on this planet and the dreams want to give a bigger context to what happens for us around that experience. Um, There's this study that I'm, I will go find and I'll put in the notes that was done recently or that came out recently about people who were, who suffered in the Holocaust, how the, the next generation down, not their children, but their grandchildren often had similar traumatic reactions to things that were triggers for their grandparents, even though they did not have the same experiences. So there's something about learning to be in our own experiences and like, why do we have these experiences? Like, for example, like I have a dear friend who's terrified of thunderstorms. Nothing ever happened to her in a thunderstorm, but a thunderstorm comes and it creates this terror in her. What is that? Where did that come from? Is that all hers or was that something that she inherited from some forgotten ancestor? The dreams want to work with all these levels, again, the Grand Canyon effect of our experience and the experience that our, the cells of our very body carry 
you know, when we have a dream or when we're working on a specific issue, the dreams work with all those issues because they want to work to help us, again, grow and change and become who we are. Um, that doesn't mean like throwing out the trauma. It means being with the trauma. It means having space if we do have trauma or to be in the fact of living in, in a trauma culture, then the dreams work on that level to help us sort that out, to help us sort out like what is mine and what isn't and what's true and what's not true. Who am I and who am I not? You know, part of the culture of trauma, I think, in terms of, you know, the larger cultural thing is also like beliefs that the culture carries that are are evolving, but still are incredibly present. So as a woman in this culture, as a Caucasian woman in this culture, my experience is specific to being a white woman growing up in the Midwest. I can say that, you know, there are some things about being a woman that was hard and is still hard. You know, there are a lot of things in this country around gender politics that are still need to be addressed, obviously, and around the world, not just not just in the United States. So if I take myself as an example, part of part of the Grand Canyon for me is like what it's like to grow up a woman in this culture, on this place, on you know, on this particular country, in my particular family, and in relationship. How how has that been for me, in both a way that's been growthful and a way that's been oppressive? You add in economic layers, you add in racial oppression, both conscious and unconscious, and it becomes again incredibly incredibly particular. So the dreams will work with all those levels. And then if we do have things that happen to us that are traumatic, the dreams work with that as well. And again, I think it's not because trauma is the heart of who we are. I believe that the heart of who we are are growing beings that want to live to our potential, want to discover who we are and step into the bigness of who we are. Trauma, when we have like living in a, trauma, a you know culture of trauma and having our own traumatic events, if we do create stories around who we are that confuse us, that maybe make us not see our possibility or make us see the world in a way that stops that growth or or how we have learned to survive in our survival culture, how we learn to survive our the traumatic events in our lives or the traumatic culture in our lives. Sometimes we really believe the survival techniques. Sometimes we get really stuck in simple survival. The dreams want to break survival. They want to go beyond survival. And to do that, we have to face into the sort of the grand, the dreams say we need to face into the Grand Canyon of our experience, both our body's experience and the memories we carry that are ours and that are not ours through our experience of the world. That is all part of becoming. So, you know, having, you know, the triad of like becoming and the second part being like how we are with trauma and the culture of trauma, they're very important elements. You know, trauma does not need to define us. It is part of who we are. I think it's part of where we come from. And it does not have to be the defining factor. When we don't face into our, into whatever traumatic events we have or don't face into the, the culture of trauma, then that kind of trauma ends up steering who we are, ends up really guiding our lives rather than just being a part of our lives. The dreams will work at that level. Now, the other part of the triad, if you will, is a combination of things. Um, one is the process of, and I think in, for me, it does work in collaboration with becoming and also facing into whatever trauma work we need to face into. And so the third part that works in collaboration with that is the idea of dying to self and the idea of alchemy. Um, in dreaming, what that looks like, especially for me in embodied dream work, is that there is, we have to face into our story of who we are, the story 
that we believe of who we are based on all these layers, the story of who we are that we've been told that may not be true. Um, we have to look into these stories and see what's not true. The dreams help sort out the parts of us that are true from the survival pieces and the stories that we've inherited or that we believe about ourselves so that those parts can die off. And in dreams, it often looks like some part of us literally dying off or us going through a dying process or some kind of process where something departs as those things die off the things that are really not who we are it gives more space for again the core part which is us finding out who we are and then growing from that place so dying the self which is really about dying to the false parts of ourselves you know letting the false parts die off is kind of a crucial part of that process we all have stories about ourselves we all have stories about who we are and who we aren't and some are true and some are not true and some are partially true. So the dreams help to sort that out. So there's a dying to self process in embodied dream work. And there's also an alchemical process. And what I mean by alchemical is as things die off, then things can change in us. They can change through the process of discovery and it can feel very much like a change even in our physical body. And, you know, again, there's a lot of studies out there that are coming out now that, that say, like, that show us how trauma actually affects our bodies and how our brains work and how when healing happens, how, it, how our bodies can actually change. I'm not a neuroscientist yet, but I do know that through my own experiences and through working with people for all these years that it, people do feel different when things change and when things fall away, when parts of ourselves die off that we don't need anymore. And when we begin to change, there is a physical element to it. And what that experience is different for different people. Um, for me, I actually feel different in my body than I did 15 years ago. I feel different in my body than I did last year based on the work that I do with my dreams. So alchemy is very much part of this triad. So it's dying to self and alchemy becoming and how we work with trauma. So I want to give an, an example of that, about alchemy and about how it changes us in our body. Actually, it's kind of, an, I have this dream I had many years ago. It's kind of a, a big dream for me because I learned a lot from it through the Grand Canyon effect, if you will. And it still resonates for me. So I had this dream when my daughter was very young, maybe not even a year old. She's 16 now. So 15 years ago. And in the dream, I was, I was actually laying in my bed. So it was one of those dreams that feels like it's not a dream. So in the dream, I'm lying in my bed, in my bedroom, and I wake up in the dream, and there's a storm outside. There's an incredible storm. It's like roaring with intensity, roaring with wind and rain and lightning. Me in the bed, I can't move. I'm paralyzed in some way, but mostly because I have this weight on my chest. I realize I've always had this weight on my chest. In the dream, I realize this. And I realize as I touch my chest, I can move my arms, that I have steel woven through my all the bones in my chest. It's like chain mail is woven through my very bones. And I had not realized it. And it's so heavy, I can't even get up. So I'm laying in the bed with a storm outside raging. And I'm realizing that I've lived my life with chain mail covering my heart area, my whole, all through my ribs, like armor, but it's so intense because it's in my bones and I think it will never come out. Then the storm breaks through the window with such force and this wind comes in, swirls around 
my room and then comes into my body from the side. It comes right into my chest, like literally bursts into my body and I can feel it moving through my bones and unweaving and loosening the chain mail. It probably took, it felt like it took hours, but the, the storm moved through my chest and through my rib cage and through all the bones in my chest and removed the chain mail and then came out the other side and then out the window. When I woke up, I literally felt like it had been removed from my body. I felt lighter. I used to carry my body very hunched. That began to shift. I did. I felt completely different in my body after that dream. I can feel it now. I can feel how, how different I feel unchained, I guess. I'm not going to open all the layers of it. But for me, part of it was like I, how I learned to survive my particular culture of trauma and also my particular personal experiences of trauma in this lifetime was I put chain mail in my body and I protected my heart. Sometimes it was very cold and would disappear, just like my heart disappearing underneath that armor. It became so embedded in me that that is the only way to survive that it actually embedded in my body. So the healing of the dream was that I couldn't get it out. I didn't know how to get it out of my body. I didn't even know it was there until that dream. I mean, I was learning about it, but that the storm came and took it out of my body and changed actually the way I felt in my body. My body did feel lighter after that. My body did move with more flexibility, if you will, after that dream. You know, and I learned a lot about why I had to have armor in my chest and began to work that level too. So for me... If I go back, I want to go back to sort of the idea of particularity and collaboration. There's this triad of how the dreams work with us and how they want to work with us and all the layers of that canyon that is our hearts and souls. They want to work on all those levels and the way to open them with tenderness, with curiosity, around through the idea of the particular, through the idea of collaboration, through the idea of knowing that everything that we dream is tailored for us and tailored around that Grand Canyon, to work with that and to work with the triad of these, of becoming, of working through trauma, not working through, but working with trauma, of alchemy and dying to self, that the collab- why the collaboration is so important is that is that what happens, I think, in the culture of trauma, in our own personal experiences of trauma and becoming and alchemy, is that sometimes choice is taken away from us. Sometimes we aren't given choices or in order to survive, we can't exercise having choice. You know, sometimes for me, I, one of the ways I look at you know, a traumatic event is that it is the lack of choice, the lack of, you know, the power to have a say over our own bodies or our own needs around what's happening in the world. To fold that into the idea of collaboration is that the dreams don't want to be that for us either. As a dream practitioner, I don't want to be that with any dreamer that I work with, and I don't want my dream practitioner to be that with me. It's more about opening places up, seeing where we lost choice, seeing what choice really means, and letting the collaboration and the finding of our own dialects, the finding of why things are tailored in a certain way, the finding of that river that's at the bottom of the canyon of who we are, is that it is this, it is a dance, and the dreams want to be in that dance with us. The only other thing I would say in, you know, the heart of as part of the heart of embodied dream work is that, you know, I think the dreams work in this way that I've been talking about and that the figures in the dreams that come also work 
and that without those intentions we have many figures beings places things that come in our dreams and we believe that you know for me there is an intentionality around those beings as well that they come some come as guides some come as challengers some come as provocateurs some come as the embodiment of the things that have scared us in the past and that the dreams work with those figures work through those figures sometimes with us through the issues of becoming through the issues of what trauma means and through the issues of alchemy and dying to self of course any of these things that i just talked about can be open in great detail and will be actually um, in upcoming episodes. I just wanted to start this conversation about what is embodied dream work in the bigger context, if you will. We talk about the Grand Canyon effect. This is like the top layer of dreams or maybe the first two layers of of how I think about work with, um, have had experiences with dreams. Coming up episodes, I'm going to talk about some of these elements in more detail and how we work with them and why we work with them. Um, including trauma, including defining what trauma is, including what is becoming, including even defining what embodiment means. So that's that's to come. I'm also going to begin to have some more conversations with other dreamers who do embodied dream work or dream work that is similar to embodied dream work with other practitioners, other dreamers, artists who work with their dreams. So that will also be coming in upcoming episodes. So thank you for joining me for this conversation about foundations of embodied dream work. I hope that you enjoyed the episode and I look forward to seeing you next time. Thanks.